What's up, everybody? This is the Off Duty On Duty Podcast, episode number 48. I'm your host, Brian Eastridge. Welcome to our podcast, part of the ConcealedCarry.com podcast network. The Off Duty On Duty Podcast takes topics relevant to today's gun owners, and we tackle them from the perspective of everyday concealed carriers and the perspective of law enforcement officers to give you both angles of discussion. Today, I'm going to be joined by Daryl Balky, DB, Uncle DB, my favorite uh, Texan via California. And uh, we're going to talk a little bit more reality check business. We may even throw in some shotgun stuff, you know. But first, word from our sponsors XS Sites, title sponsor of the podcast, XS Sites. Check them out at excesssites.com. Photoluminescent and tritium. Uh, and priced competitively amongst all the uh, the other site manufacturers out there and made right here in the USA in the great state of Texas. Check them out at XS Sites. CCW Safe Legal Service Membership for Concealed Carriers and Law Enforcement Officers. They are the most comprehensive coverage by the most experienced team. How do I know? I know every one of those guys and look up the Stephen Maddox case out of North Carolina. I, I don't think you can really say much more about that. Other than uh, they stepped up to the plate and uh, took care of that that gentleman. So if you want 10% off your membership, enter code OFFDUTY10 at checkout. Right, as always, EDC Belt Company, the foundation belt, the most comfortable, functional concealed carry belt on the market. Check them out at edcbeltco.com. Reminder to sign up for the concealedcarry.com podcast giveaway. I don't know who uh, won the MCF Spark. I'm recording before that one got given away, before the drawing. But got to sign up weekly to, uh, to be a uh, participant in that. And the link is in the show notes. So whatever platform, look in the show notes. You can click right on it. It'll take you right there. And, of course, the Guardian Conference is coming up. And if you have not heard, if you are signed up for the Guardian Conference in September the 17th, 18th, 19th in Oklahoma City, you will have the ability to purchase some 9mm practice ammo at a discounted price. I want to say the price was uh, somewhere around $300, 330 330 somewhere, somewhere in there. Um, emailer went out on it, but check it out. So uh, don't be afraid to come out and train. And uh, you don't even have to tap into your ammo stash if you don't want to. So all of that being said, let's get our, our uh, like monthly dose of DB's reality check. All right, welcome back for another edition of Uncle DB's Reality Check. No. <laughs> Make it sound all soft and pretty. So, <laughs> we were discussing offline that uh you and the uh the young apprentice uh Mr. David the little, the little, the little Padawan. The Padawan <laughs> went went on the uh the gunfight gunfighter tour of Southern California, of Greater Southern California, and uh he got to uh get some some one-on-one time with some uh, some of the people that are, uh, to use the parlance of the new hipster, node up on some things. Um, and born out of that conversation was the difference in people who have learned things and people that possess knowledge or something to that effect you mentioned, right? When we took, uh, you know, I, I just spent, you know, done my mentoring process. Um, I'm trying to return a lot of favors that were done for me and, uh, at the, at a similar age. So while we were on the, uh, the, uh, young man's mentoring and gunfighter tour of Southern California, um, one of the topics that came up and, and, and he thought it was pretty significant and is I had a discussion with him on the way home, you know, we had hours, you know, driving back to Lake Havasu from SoCal to kind of unwind uh, days of being immersed in this stuff from, from pretty significant people. Um, and I said, you know, do you see the difference between knowledge and learning? You know, and it, you know, everybody kind of glasses over. So I want to, uh, we'll get into that and kind of start trying to apply that. So learning is a lifelong 
objective of the student. And we should all be students of what we take seriously. So for us, it's obviously use of force, shooting, gunfighting, whatever. Um, I've kind of gotten out of the shooting thing, and this is more about lethal force application with a firearm, and which is different than shooting. Um, but learning is something we do all our life. People listening to this podcast are attempting to learn. Um, you and I have spent you know, decades upon decades learning. And you go and you get various sources, reading books, watching videos, listening to podcasts, sitting at the feet of others, uh, sitting in classes, and trying to bring all of this knowledge in that we learn from. And that's great. We should be doing a lot of it. But the problem is, is learning isn't true knowledge. See, true knowledge comes from experience. So we take all that learning we do, and then we get to, some of us have gotten to try to apply it. And when you apply that learning, you start finding out or applying skills that we have learned, you start finding out on the anvil of experience while you're pounding all that out there, that most of this doesn't quite work out the way you think it does. And there's a lot of issues. So what I tried to do with David is surround him and people with vast, and I mean vast amounts of knowledge, which came from taking all the learning and stuff they did and actually applied it in the real world for real. Let's get their opinion on things. You know, let's see what they have to say about the stuff that is all internet, uh, social media buzz. And see what these folks actually think about that stuff. And you'll find there is an incredible difference in where they're at on this. And it starts coming down to, you know, do we, do we keep going down the path of doing what's cool or maybe start trying to listen to you know, people with these vast amounts of knowledge. And here's the problem. We have gone so far off the rails of creating heroes, personalities, cult-like following of people throwing out learning, just throwing out information and basically have discounted or uh, actually ostracized folks with vast levels of knowledge. Yeah. Interestingly enough, you know, you you mentioned decades and decades. And, and when I came into this whole, I got to get, I got to get in, in the know on how to employ firearms. Uh, It was really kind of pre-internet. Internet Internet was in its infancy. A lot of gun magazines, a lot of, having to go and find knowledge and, you know, find the Dylan blue press and order, you know, take the 1499 tour down somebody's literature. Uh, and you had to actually wait and get it by mail, you know? (laughs) So it wasn't instant gratification at the, the touch of a keyboard. Uh, and then just studying that, you know, studying the Lenny McGill videos on how people perform and how people, uh, different shooting styles and all these different things. And it was an in-depth study that now you could probably accomplish in about, you know, 10 hours on YouTube to get a lot of the same information. The difference was then we would take that knowledge or that, that not knowledge, but that, that learning. And then we would go and pressure test it. Right. Like, yeah. And that, and that's, what's missing right now. Yes. Um, and that would, that goes back to when I was like, when I was in the military going, okay, how do I mount a flashlight on this rifle? Well, I see these guys mount it like, okay, well, let's put it on and let's go see what happens when we do X, Y, and Z. And then in police work, um, man, I, you've probably seen now about the third turn in training cycles and how we have evolved and adapted equipment to perform a given task and how much different does that look now than it did 35 years ago? 
technique wise, probably not a whole lot different. Uh, equipment wise, probably a lot different, right? But well, you know, like a lot of things, we start becoming slaves to the equipment instead of the equipment becoming an enhancement to the skill set. And you know, I it, the greatest you know, strides we have made again, because I spend so much time studying this stuff is between, you know, what we're doing today and what happened in the 1920s is not radically different. Um, you had massive upheavals of technology and knowledge or uh, new things, you know, where you had a refrigerator in your house, you had a, a car, you know, we had highways, we had cities that didn't look like they did before. All of this was starting to happen in the 20s. And, and you know, if you dig hard enough, you'll find like none of this is new. But what what the enhancements have been made is mostly in sighting systems. And currently, the other biggie is illumination systems, which help us see. It all comes down to ability to take in information. Um, the ability that we're able to read uh, the gun through the information we take in and read scenarios or read what's happening, have that's where a lot of the vast stuff is. I mean, the the biggest thing back then was... Uh, you know, hugely significant when I came on as a cop, I carry to this day, uh, you know, I got this, my little uniform security job. I, I love doing, um, keeps me out of trouble, but I carry the exact same. I mean, literally the same mag light. I started day one in the police Academy with the same light. The only difference is I've upgraded it with an led, but that mag light is the same. I, I tell people, I go, you want to know the greatest piece of gear I ever bought that one. Cause this many years later and a ton of abuse, it still works perfectly with the led. I can see much better and it doesn't break every time I drop it. Or in the old days, every time you dunk somebody with it, you had to go run down, you know, Maglite was in the city I worked in. So you just run down Monday morning and you go, you know, the nice girls would install new lights and switches for you or bulbs and switches. <laughs> All the graveyard guys lined up Monday morning for new bulbs, you know? Um, <laughs> yeah. And you know, you don't have to do that with the LEDs, you know? So we've made these great strides. We can throw light harder, farther, faster, better. Um, the reality is I need to see crooks. Um, that hasn't changed. I need to see it identify it, assess it, and do all of this before I can do engage it and start a threat assessment process. So, yeah, the equipment's changed. The goal hasn't. Um, same thing with sites. You know, back in the 20s, most of the sites they were using on these firearms were horrible. Um, and now we're running red dots and lasers, you know, that enhance the ability to hit things under stress. If you actually look at the right stuff, um, the goal though, is still to put hits on bad guys period now. And then we get to start talking about, you know, here's an area of learning and knowledge that has changed vastly as well. How about accountability? Your level of accountability in 1920 versus 2020, 2021 are two very different levels of accountability to everything you do. The one big thing that came out of the gunfighter tour was everybody prefaced talking to David was the accountability you are facing is far different than the accountability we were facing. So, you know, when we get into, and I guess the big subject of uh, internet torrent lately is, you know, the one second draw, Hey, whatever, you know, if you can do it, terrific. Um, you know, my thing is, you know, are the neural pathways you're developing? Is that for, are you doing anything to take into account assessment and accountability? Because if your assessment's wrong, your accountability is going to get real hard. In today's world, it's going to get really hard. Um, and so you start asking yourself, what neural pathways am I developing? Am I training 
And are they accounting for accountability and assessment? Most people aren't. Everybody wants to talk about what I can do on a timer with a target on a one-dimensional range on a thing I know and a pre-planned event with my staged hands and doing all of this junk. And apparently that's going to win you a gunfight. Yet I just spent a whole bunch of time with a bunch of people who have all been in some pretty horrendous real-life gunfights and not one of them mentioned to me the word one second draw, not one that didn't ever come up. Now, did it come up that you need to be fast? Yeah. But you know, nobody's defining that on a, on a time. Heck, most of these guys were working, um, on stopwatches in all honesty, you, it wasn't that you have to attain some number. It's just, don't be slow. You know, but again, in the accountability part, you better be, damn right. And right takes time. So a lot of this knowledge we're trying to steal from these dudes who have a lot of it is how do you balance these things? You know, and a lot of it came down to, you know, we sat at the foot of a master and had a four and a half hour discussion on mindset uh, and how important that is of being an of, of winning these confrontations and there's not a lot of people out there can have that discussion at any sort of a level that came with federal civil rights lawsuits, uh, people showing up at your house, uh, you know, protests there. It, there's a whole lot going on that's part of these equations that's not getting taken into account and you know back to accountability and assessment and they are not cool things to talk about no and something i'm uh i'm seeing that's kind of i would say trending in the law enforcement realm is now that uh we have body cameras a lot, most agencies, most major agencies have gone to some type of body camera system. Uh, people are, even when we have people that operate at a very high level of accountability, some of the activities that go on in the law enforcement realm are shocking to the conscience of the average consumer, so to speak. So we now have things that are completely color of law justified to the nth degree that are now being called into question simply because John Q public does not understand how violent a society he li- really lives in. So couple that with the accountability factor and it is a monumental task to undertake I mean, and you know, the sh- and honestly, our community doesn't understand most of this. You know, the shooting community, the law enforcement community, has these unbelievably warped senses. And you know what the problem is with all of these communities is a lack of knowledge, and nobody wants to listen to the people who actually pounded that out on an anvil. You don't ever hear the names of people who have actually done really good work, except in a bad way. And most of these people, when you talk to them, the stories are hilarious of what it took to get the knowledge. Because so, you know, there's this kind of some other stuff I've stolen from people and whatever. And one of my favorites is, you know, experience comes from failure and wisdom comes from experience. Think about that one for a minute. Oh, I'm dropping little bombs on you. So that was a hand grenade. That wasn't about that was a, that was a pretty good grenade. There. <laughs> yeah. So how many times do you have to fail to gain experience to then start getting knowledge? And we don't let people do that anymore. In all honesty, in law enforcement work, you, know, you go talk to some of these guys who were cops in the 70s and 80s. You know, we're kind of the, uh, uh, you know, a lot of these folks are, are kind of almost like your World War II vets. Um, you know, the greatest generation, you know, that were losing a lot, a lot of stuff. And, you know, these guys did a lot of work in pretty bad 
uh, situations, the seventies in particular were horrifically violent with, uh, very under, uh, undermanned departments. Um, so these guys got massive, massive amounts of experience that didn't come under a body cam and everything else. They just went out and, you know, they handed you a 38 special on a wood stick and said, go do the Lord's work. And you got, you got a lot of failure opportunity to gain a lot of experience. And it's real easy to say things are different, but when it comes to dealing with interpersonal violence and societal decay and moral decay and all these other things, a lot of that kind of doesn't change over time. Um, you know, the environment changes, but the actual roots of all this stuff is pretty much, you know, a cyclical thing. And you, you how we have a situation now where what I'm noticing is a lot of, uh, we don't let police officers get a lot of experience now with failing to en- en- enable them to gain wisdom. You have a lot of law enforcement executive people who rise through the ranks having no experience. Now, they have years of of time that they've put in, but they have no experience, meaning they have not gone out, faced massive levels of violence and disturbance and failed at it in order to get good at it. You know, I think we were talking about baseball before some of the greatest hitters of all time, (laughs) spent a a lot of time striking out, Um, you know, and the same goes for this. I mean, I, I love listening to, a bunch of folks out there pontificating in social media on the, what I would do, meaning I've never done it actually before or the Monday morning quarterbacking or the uh, I'm going to evaluate or assess all these people at what they did of something they have no knowledge of, or they've never done in their life. They're watching whatever uh, media sources and, and, you know, you know, offering an opinion on that based on, you know, learning, no knowledge. And we sit there and go, okay, you, you have people judging other people who have no knowledge. They have no experience in failing at these things. And then you have to sit there and listen. Well, what I would do is, you know what? I remember my first days as a cop and I was busier than most. Um, I actually had dinner with my first FTO while I was out on vacation. Oh, nice. um, that was a per- that was a pretty funny conversations of going back to that. And you you go, we were all just messes at a lot of times in our first encounters with violence and our first you know going into these things were generally a complete uh, and utter train wreck. I mean, I sat and had dinner with what the probably the most experienced gunfighter walking amongst us in domestic law enforcement. And some of the funniest stories were rookie stories because he was talking to David given, uh, yeah, when I was brand new, you know, down in, you know, in, uh, you know, Nickerson gardens and, <laughs> you know, right. Yeah. And, and Jordan Downs and stuff. You know, when I was new working in these areas, here's, here's some of the bad stuff that happened or some of the mistakes that were made. And you have people pontificating who, you know, the scariest thing that's ever happened to them is they went home and their mommy forgot to leave the porch light out on them, you know, yeah. for them. And, and, and you're going to sit there and tell me that you're going to have a one sub one second draw the first time you encounter this. Yeah, whatever. Okay, keep believing that because you can do it on a square range. Um, you know, what happens when it's wrong? You know, I just had this discussion because of whatever you guys were talking about, that the one second draw always seems to come, you know, you know as a landmine today. But, you know, <laughs> I sit there and I go, okay, um, every draw I've had in my career did not end up in a shooting. And I have drawn with intent to shoot somebody at the end of that draw, I guarantee you far more times than 99% of anybody listening. Mm -hmm. And 
I'm actually with this podcast, it might be like 95 or 98. But in yeah. general, I have drawn with intent to shoot another human being to apply, to apply lethal force at the end of that draw with that intention far more times than most. And you know how many of those times ended up in the shot at the end of that draw? None. Right. So it became it became more important to me that I need to get ahead of a, a fight, that it is important to be able to rapidly acquire my firearm and get it into a fight. But the reality is most of the time that doesn't come with a shot. So why am I sitting here spending inordinate amount of time developing neuropathways that always end up with a shot at the end? And if you want one of those uh, cool guy videos on YouTube of you making all this stuff, you're going to develop a lot of neuropathways to get there. For me, the neuropathways I don't want because I really, you know, people tell me all the time, DB, you need to be doing YouTube videos. Yeah, whatever. I, yeah, I'm I got better things to do in my life than hand this out <laughs> in the, in the competition realm. I'm all, f you know what I mean? Like I get you, it. You know, get after you know it. what's, you know, what's so funny is a lot of people get on me. Cause like, well, dude, you're not doing, you're not a USPSA grandmaster. Okay. Whatever. Yeah. There was a time in life. I cared about stuff like that. This isn't it. It isn't like I don't talk to people or spend a lot of time with people who do that. Because technical shooting skill is important to me. I need to evaluate what they're doing and keep, take a look at these folks because they're the best in the business at what they're doing. How fast is a sub one second draw on USPSA? Not very, in all honesty. It, it, or how often does it occur? It, do, it doesn't. It, it's, you know, you got to be fast on some of these stages, but really that's not it. Now, Getting to the first shooting stage, that's where these guys build a lot of time. Is watch, watch. I'm watching them for movement efficiency, draw, you know, all this other stuff. But you know what? What the timer says about how important that is really kind of isn't. Um, yeah. You know, I'm breaking down what those folks are doing and what what I can take, what I can't, or why is it different? Yeah. And it's where I keep I keep ending up on what is different is, for example. Uh, you have to train yourself to shoot without follow through follow through. takes a lot of time that we have to do in defensive shooting because follow through is part of your assessment process. Follow through tells you, you have to, every time you press the trigger, you have to reset the assessment process. And everybody forgets about that. Everybody's like, well, my shot to shot time. And my, okay, you know, great. How fast can you, how fast can you look at that threat, evaluate that threat, make a full lethal force decision before you press the trigger? Because you got to do that every time you press the trigger. Yeah. How fast can you do that? Now we'll talk about speed. How fast can you assess and how sure are you of the accountability that is tied to that assessment? These are big problems. Uh, these are things that get you thrown in jail or have your every every bit of money or or things in your life taken away from you, your freedom, your financial uh, status. Everything is are you, how much are you willing to lose to get that one wrong? Right. Because that's what we're talking about. We're not talking about who won a match or how many what your percentage is and some calculation on how good you were. How willing are you to, to get the accountability wrong? Yeah. Or the assessment wrong, uh, because those have those have severe consequences. See, nobody wants to talk about consequences. Um, and that was another big thing that came out of all these conversations is with our actions come great consequences, period. Um, they're never all good. Um, I just you know, I was I had a, uh, you know driving home from Arizona back to Dallas, I had a lot of time. So I listened to the, uh, Norco 80, uh, audible book. And I actually worked with one of the guys who was shot at Norco. So, and that was, I started the Academy eight years after Norco in the same area. So it was a big deal. A lot of the instructors, there was a lot of folks with experience with that. So it was sort of a defining moment. It was the Hollywood North Hollywood shootout of my era was Norco 80. And 
listening to what these guys involved in that went through was insane. And I wish more people would listen and try to educate themselves on the consequences of a lot of what they think is going to happen. And it was, there was consequences for everybody involved in that, that were all pretty horrible. And, you know, you just sit there and go, okay, there's some, there, there's a lot, a lot of people got experience that day. Uh, and we can capitalize on that, but these are the kind of things that are out there that nobody wants to talk about. You know, I spent a night on a porch, uh, sharing some great Texas whiskey with a friend, uh, who has been through one of these kind of incidents. And you talk about they're never ending. You know, the aftermath of those gunfights is never, ever ending. Even if you do anything, every, everything right, those things don't end in today's world. Yeah. We, again, consequences. We went back on uh, episode four. I had my dad on, you know, and we, we did a really, really in depth, like, I wouldn't say forensic interview, but we did a really in-depth view of his shooting in 1979. Um, And it, it was shocking that the shooting incident took all of about two seconds. You know, there was a lead up there, you know, but the actual um, execution of what, what occurred took two seconds ish. And, you talk about when you talk about consequences, we need to kind of quantify that a little bit. I, I don't think, you know, the average person understands the, the, the emotional stress of that. Um, you know, the, the ripple effect that that has on your friends, family, peers for generations now, because right. it affected me. I was 26 days old when that occurred and years later, those things have shaped peers and family members and friends, uh, that I've been involved with now, not I'm on sure a, it's, I, I am sure it shaped the relationship you and your dad had, especially yeah, diving into police work. And, and it, right. Absolutely. So, you know, these things become generational and, and you know, and like I said, it's all the stuff nobody wants to talk about because you can't throw it up on on the grams. So nobody right. wants to talk about it. Or, you know, you, you, you've got most of the folks who are talking about this stuff are folks who've never been through it. Yeah. So they're pontificating uh, with absolutely no. They have not hammered their knowledge out on an anvil of anything. They have no true knowledge of it. And we keep getting back to nobody wants to listen to the folks with these deep levels of knowledge. They want to listen to folks with deep levels of followers. And, you know, and, you know, the the sad thing is I, I have this sort of circle of reference. And I don't know if it's because sort of how deep dive I took this when I was in my early 20s and who I was hanging around and mentoring under that I was allowed into a circle most people can never get in. But, uh, you know, I've surrounded myself in these folks and I have access to them. And you know what a lot of them are unwilling to do right now? Share. Because nobody wants to, people aren't interested in what they have to say. And, and I'll be honest with you, I am fairly in that boat myself these days. My new sort of mantra has been figure it out yourself. Yeah. Oh, great. Oh, great. Oh, great. Uh, master of wisdom and knowledge that you have none. Yeah. Go figure it out yourself. Cause that's what I had to do. And, you know, and luckily I had good guidance along the way and I'm willing to guide those that, that, that truly want it. I'm not willing anymore to get in much arguments with the people who, you know, are silly. Yeah. Um, you know, they're, you know, it's funny. I, I listen, you know, I get people call me all the time. Hey, have you heard the latest, whatever thing about the, you know, whether it's one second draws or one handed shooting or this or that, or some other cockamamie stuff that's going on. Right. And, and I go, yeah, whatever, you know, cause it's like, um, 
oh, well, they're saying this, you know, I, I will remember in, in my first introduction to this, that is sort of the most significant one is I remember being in one of the early pissing contests on the internet, which I used to have engage in on a regular basis. And I remember some guy, you know, I was talking about using the Harry's flashlight technique. Um, I am still a huge fan of the Harry's. I use it all the time. It's kind of my go-to between the Harry's and neck index for low light work. Um, I call it low speed, low light. Mm -hmm. Um, I just need to see stuff and then I can start problem solving it. Uh, sometimes that may involve shooting. Most of the time it doesn't. Um, but you sit there and go, okay. And I remember this guy going, well, you know, nobody's actually used the Harry's technique for real. Okay, so a week later, I'm standing at a bar with myself and three other people who have all shot somebody from Harry's. They've all been in a lethal force confrontation successfully in Harry's. Right. And I go, and it, it was kind of one of those defining moments of why am I arguing with people with no knowledge? Now, if you get somebody who wants to tell me, hey, I've been in, in three or four high-level force encounters in low light, in these scenarios and here's the techniques I use to gain my knowledge. I love having those conversations because now my depth of learning becomes better because I'm talking to people with knowledge, talking to some dude who's assaulting his bathroom and his underwear with the newest light that came out or something. It's like, Hey, you know, whatever. Um, you know, cool. Uh, for you, your bathroom is now, uh, ruled safe. Um, because and I joke around because it isn't like I haven't assaulted my bathroom with the newest technique or light or whatever. I mean, that's how we test this, but then, you know, the difference is going out and applying that for real. Yeah. You talk I mean, about this the day Harry's technique. The first seven years I was a police officer. We didn't, we didn't even have the option to attach a light to our gun. So I can't tell you the number of search warrant teams I was on where I was literally running guns and eyeballs, uh, with an SL 20 in a Harry's position. And you didn't die. And I, I'm doing it to this day. I, like I said, I am using most of the stuff I do in low light. I am doing to this day with, with the same mag light I started with. Hey, what's really cool. You know, I also have a fury in my pocket. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, which if I really got to get down to it and start doing some work with the gun and I got night sights on, on, on my pistol and some of this other neat stuff, but the reality is most of the work I'm doing is with a full size mag light. And again, you know, I work some low speed job, but you know, the difference between me and everybody else, I'm 56 years old and I'm still working graveyard. You know, with a gun belt on, I don't know what the hell is wrong with me, but you know, it's still, you just kind of can't get it out of your system sometimes. Well, I, I but, talked to, uh, Chuck Haggard. He and I were exchanging <laughs> texts earlier today and, uh, I've been trying to get him lined up for a podcast for a minute. And, uh, he said, well, I'm working 16 hours tomorrow and the day after I'm supposed to be off at five. And I said, I thought you were retired ish. And his response was, I'm not very good at being retired. So. Yeah, I'm, I'm terrible at it, you know, and, and, uh, you know, it's, uh, I, I think what happens, you spend so many years fueling on adrenaline. It's hard to get that out. Now, my little poor little broken body does not do stuff real well. So I've at least tried to put myself in a place where I'm not, uh, you know, doing that every day. Uh, you know, the car chases and hunting bad guys and stuff. But, you know, the reality is somebody's decided to entrust me with the safety of their children at night. And, uh, you know, I take it seriously. But I, I do, you know, I'm still wandering around the middle of the night, and com- a lot of times in utter darkness, you know, with a flashlight in my left hand and, a you know, wearing a gun belt and a pistol. I mean, it's it, it it's a kind of an interesting dynamic. And, you know, the... Uh, you got to still you know, go do the job. And, you know, the thing is the consequences again, are coming up of wrong are huge because if the, if the consequences of being a hundred percent right or bad, imagine the consequences of being wrong. And, you know, again, you know, back to what are you training to do? You know, if, if again, 
uh, you know, I love the sport shooting. I love watching it. They, they got their own mindset, their own marksmanship skills that apply to those sports. And they have their own, um, gun handling and tactics that apply to that. And it's cool to watch. Cause I, I get it. Um, um, I'd rather watch much rather watch, you know, guys compete in USPSA than golf, you know, so it's cool. But the reality is sitting there going, taking some imagined skill sets from those things and applying them, you know, into a, into lethal force application, uh, in the real world with real world consequences attached to it. Not, you know, you got DQ'd, whatever I'm like, you know, okay. You know, it, it doesn't really apply. Now the failures apply real good. And it's like, I've had these discussions with people and I think we've talked about it before. Um, if you tell me you've not had a downrange negligent discharge with a firearm, you're not shooting enough. I've done it. You've done it. Everybody, you know, we've all gotten the uh, gun back with the new, uh, comp, you know, the new cool guy, uh, you know, trigger job in it. And, you know, that second round that goes off. Whoa. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Uh, yeah. I just, uh, I just had stopped by, uh, uh, you know, I just had, uh, Ernest Langdon do another gun for me. And, uh, yeah, I'm going to have to get, get used to that trigger being not what it was when I brought it to him. And that's going to take some, some work, but again, um, we're doing all these things to make stuff, uh, easier, faster, better, whatever to shoot. And the problem is, is most of the time, uh, the decision to shoot needs to be quite, quite careful. So, and making that trigger lighter, better, whatever, making that draw lighter, better, faster is not always, and I found usually not the solution to the problem if our goal is high accountability problem solving. Yeah, we've we talked about that quite a bit on uh, I was about ten episodes back about you know do you, to use the parlance of baseball yet again do you do you want your first at bat to be with a two and a half pound trigger? Probably not. Yeah. Um, nope. But, but you know what, according to the internet and social media, yes, you do. And I'm like, okay, you know, well, you're going to get some experience. Yeah. You know, I can let me know how it, let me know how it goes for you. Cause you know, again, we, we've, we've been down this road so many times and so many people before these. And it seems like, again, as all the people with deep knowledge don't have the same opinion on this and then you know again we get back into where does knowledge come from i had a little pet peeve recently there was something that came up i think it was uh american cop online where one of them was talking about uh how horrible it is to follow threats into the ground because i do that uh i was taught by people who all do that and i'm sitting here looking at okay so pat rogers taught that scotty reitz teaches that mudget all these deep level law enforcement, true gunfighters with massive amounts of experience on engaging bad guys in the United States under both state, federal, local laws, regulations, civil penalties, the whole thing. Every one of them I know teaches following threats into the ground with a, with a gun. And now you got a guy who's got X number of deployments overseas, which, is beyond admirable and a huge wealth of knowledge. Now we get back to application. What are the consequences? What are the accountability? Well, again, if you're in crack acid stand somewhere and you follow a threat to the ground, well, there might be really a whole lot more that you need to be shooting. So I get it. The problem is, is here in the United States at this point now, when I can start shooting other human beings in the United States with near zero accountability for it, because we've devolved to that point, you know, where I'm going for my knowledge or for my learning, right. I'm going to people with knowledge at doing that. And those people came from spending a lot of time killing bad guys in some, a status, something, some crap hole of the world. That's where I want to start learning from those guys. But when it comes to high level of accountability and consequences in the United States, you know, the last thing I want to do is 
be running muzzles all over the place for things that don't need muzzles. And the other thing I don't want to be doing is running shots into things that don't still need shots. I mean, the latest thing I'm seeing now is how many rounds can you shoot in whatever amount of seconds? And I'm like, okay, that's a cool, but quit trying to tell me that that's applicable to use of force, because I'll tell you right now, and you don't want me on the other side of a, of a, you know, of a, you don't want me sitting at the other table in court no. on expertise. Cause I'll tell you what you can't make shoot, no shoot. Uh, do I still need to be applying force decisions in those kind of time frames? Yeah. Oh, not so yet. if it, yeah, again, so what I ask is how fast, can you see a threat, evaluate that threat, and then make a solid constitutionally, legally, morally, and ethically based decision to use lethal force to eliminate that threat? Because you've got to do all of those things every single time you press the trigger. Yeah. So, and born, yeah, it's born out of a conversation that I had with uh, our, our mutual acquaintance, Super Dave. I started really thinking about um, firing exercises and not necessarily on the shoot, don't shoot side, but what could be construed as something that allows you realistic time standards, realistic hits and shot to shot times that don't exceed that about 0.35 to 0.50 assessment time. So between you and Super Dave, I kind of fabricated this course of fire. Now, there's nothing in it that is original. There's nothing in it that's original to me. (laughs) It's all stuff I've done before, right? You've probably done it. Anybody who's been on any police qualification has done some semblance of that. But it it was all based around two and a half seconds. And there's there's no distance or time, uh, shot-to-shot time, that with a 1.3 to 1.5 second draw, which I feel like is pretty applicable from a duty duty yeah. style rig. Yeah. yeah uh, that's pretty, pretty good. That yeah, makes, that makes you forces you to shoot faster than about 0.35 with a rigid accountability. And I started taking my, you know, upper level peers, the guys that put in the work and running them through this course of fire that I just, it, it just came to me one day, right? You know, those moments of inspiration or whatever. Mm-hmm. And I've posted it on Facebook and Instagram and that stuff. And every one of them that shot it, that are people that I care about their opinion, were like, that was challenging, but I was completely conscious and controlled every time I pressed the trigger. There was never a doubt about where their shot was going to go to meet this time standard of two and a half seconds. Um, and it, I did it by design and it was based on conversations you and I have had and super Dave and I have had. And what I figured out was the people that were proficient, the, sh- the shot times made it like say the course of fires, a failure drill at seven yards. The people that were trained and proficient had absolutely no problem making a time standard and having a, rigid level of accountability they would clean it every single time and all of them said the same thing it 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 wasn't too soft but it wasn't too difficult or it wasn't too difficult but it wasn't it wasn't a slouch course either yeah yeah and all of them that were capable shot it with a high degree of accuracy and then i've perpetrated that on some people that are kind of up and coming and the accuracy suffered, but the time standard has not been an issue. And it was, re- it's been a really fascinating deep dive into getting these people. And the first time I posted that online, the first thing I hear is, well, how do you score it? Well, how do you do this? Well, what do, what about for this rig or that rig? Or, well, if this guy's carrying appendix, he goes faster because he can carry appendix. And if this guy's going from a three o'clock, it, you should allow for this or that. And I'm like, no, it's just, can you, or can you not? shoot at a high level of accountability in this two and a half second time frame. I don't care how you carry the gun. Start with the gun in your hand. It, it makes it, it, 
the differences and the other thing that fascinated me was the differences in time between a guy carrying a duty rig an appendix rig concealed and a guy starting from a compressed low ready were tenths of a second they weren't yeah. you know they weren't a full second they weren't a half a second they were literally tenths of a second and i went well, that's pretty fascinating so i'm going to start working with this and get some some uh some more data on it but the bottom line in it is is i i structured everything to where a guy does not have to shoot faster than assessment speed to complete it and yeah and you know that's that's part of this whole neuropathway development of what do we want as our go-to when our brain is occupied with other stuff um you know, I, one of the, my stolen things I use a lot, um, you know, came from a relative of mine who's, uh, you know, a physical therapist and does all this cool stuff with that. And, you know, nerves that fire together, wire together, you know, and I use it all the time. So if we're developing all these neural pathways for stuff there, again, there's no muscle memory, you know, there's no multitasking. It's task, staff, staff, task, stacking. And, you know, these neural pathways and, you you know, when you're, you're doing stuff like that, you have to understand that the big problems you're going to have are everything else going on at the time. So you just need to make some of this stuff overlearned, solid works under pressure and free your mind for solving complex force problems. And this all comes down to a lot of straight up fundamentals because, you know, when I'm doing these high accountability stuff now, I did a private class while I was out of town for a guy um, who couldn't make one of our classes. So he came out to do it with me. And um, when I start putting some simple problems in, it starts breaking people badly and they start lights start going on that maybe I've been practicing the wrong thing. And as soon as I start throwing a bunch of no shoots into problems instead of all shoots, and I start throwing backstop issues in, and you can be the fastest dude in the world. I don't care. You know, you're going to have to deal. I start finding out that everybody starts problem solving at a speed based on their experience of problem solving, as opposed to the speed in which they can perform a technical skill. You know, all of a sudden it needs to slow down and I can get you going way too fast. That's easy. Um, you know, if you want to show me, you put me, let, let me set the course. And then you, you show me somebody you can shoot a sub one second draw on it and be right every time on what that target setup looks like. I'll concede you're right. I'm wrong. I'll <laughs> concede it every time you, you go ahead and show me, you let me set the course and you show me your sub second draw 10 times. Cause the problem I'm going to give you are going to be 10 different problems. Now, is the guy who can do a sub-second draw to a shot going to not be worried horribly about their ability to get the gun out of the holster on target if that's what needs to happen? No. Nah. No. So that's why you need to have a fast and consistent draw. But they will actually be allowed – what they're going to do is be able to slow down a little, hopefully. But if – they try to do their normal thing. They're going to have a problem, but then, then this gets back to as soon as this flag goes up for real, as opposed to a test, you know, what are you going to revert back to? Yeah. I'll quote, you know, Ken Hackathorn on this. The problem we see every time is the speed ferry always shows up. It's getting the accuracy ferry to show up. How many police shootings have you seen where the shot to shot times were the problem? I can't really think of one. No, they are there, man. These guys will bang those things out at, you know, at 25 yards and they're running, you know, point point one something splits or point two. They can't hit that fast. They can't assess that fast. 
but they, they can they can bang a trigger that fast. It's getting them to do all this other stuff that requires a whole ton of discipline, especially when we have to worry about, gee, is there a backstop issue? Gee, is there a no shoot in the way of me? Gee, do I have all these new problems every time I press the trigger? Yeah. And then you start incorporating movement, uh, you know, uh, changes in scenario, changes in actions. There's all sorts of things that go on. And these are very, very complex problems that so much of social media and so much of the training paradigms right now are all focused not on the problem solving. They're focused on a technical skill that is very low in the big picture. Like I said, you know, when I had, you know, you know, when I tell people, I go, yeah, I've, I've drawn to a shot multiple times in my life. And that was never a shot at the end. And you know what? And some of those, I thank God I didn't have a second one sub one second draw to a shot. I absolutely thank God that I did not perform a sub one second draw to a shot because several of those would have went from a, not a shooting to a shooting that was probably justifiable, but was going to have the consequence of ruining my life to justify it. And you have to start asking yourself, you know, is this worth it? So a lot of this, we've come down to, you know, I've got some set ideas on time that nobody wants to discuss, but I'm seeing stuff where, you know, we're running, you know, how much time does it really take to make these assessments? Let's train to those times. How many times? Now, if I gave you an unknown quantity on a draw, which may include not drawing, what are your draw speeds going to look like? Who cares? So if I, if I, well, if I, if I say turn around, deal with the problem and you know, you turn around and it looks like some, you know, competition course of fire where there's a whole bunch of junk to shoot and you run muzzles over non shoots and you do all this. Well, you get to go real fast. If I have you turn around and there's a bunch of non-shoots in one shoot, but you can't really tell it's a shoot until you kind of move and get a better information flow. Um, that might take you two and a half, three seconds to make that decision to get a clean shot. Then if I turn around and you, you know, you, you know, you're in a shopping mall, you hear a shot go off behind you and you turn around, you, you know, you go to engage that threat and you can't see it. Turned out it was a backfire in the parking lot. You're standing out with your pistol out pointed at everything. What's the consequence for that neuropathway development? You shouldn't have even had it out of the holster. How much time does it take to not draw? Nobody wants to talk about these. Things. These are not things anybody wants to talk about because all of these things come from knowledge. And there just aren't a lot of people out there who have gone, oh, well, gee, you know, here's what happened to me. In this scenario, um, where and who have survived the gee, I put rounds on target I shouldn't have. I was too fast. What is the experience on being too fast? Because we've seen that, and the consequences of being too fast are horrible, but that seems to be what everybody wants to to talk about equally the consequences of being too slow can have fatal consequences as well. But again, you know, this is a balancing act and what I'm never hearing about is balance. I'm never hearing the discussions of what is the maximum human performance speed at this? What is the maximum human accountability and assessment speed? And what should we be training at? Nobody wants to talk about that voodoo stuff. It's, it's not fun. It doesn't go on YouTube. Nobody wants to sit there and get any learning done from a bunch of knowledge people who have the skills because they're not around. And most of them have been so turned off to talking about it that we don't discuss it. Well, man, I don't even know that uh, we could have a final thought after this one. We've been going almost an hour. 
So uh, the the bigger question I have is, when are you and Wayne doing another high accountability shooting course? <laughs> <'Cause>, <laughs> you, you know what I would like to do is um, I would like to come up and do that course at the secret facility with your legal minds and see what they think about it. I think, uh, I think we're going to have to, I'm going to have to work on that one and see what we can come up with. Cause there's, uh, that's probably going to kick off after the first of the year. I think we're going to, the, the secret under the secret underground volcano base or whatever you want to call it to <laughs> use the, uh, James Bond lingo, but, <laughs> but that's, uh, that's on my radar because I think it, uh, I've not yet seen a course description that, that comes anywhere close to it. So that being said, um, <laughs> let's see. Yeah, that's man. I, I feel like my brain has decompressed <laughs> after this week's uh, goings on, and glad you made it back from Havasu intact uh, and Southern California. It seemed like that yeah, was quite got, the, got, got the whole. I got. I got to tell you, the most depressing thing I've seen is uh, being a native Southern Californian. Spent forty three years. My first forty three years of life there was one of the most disturbing things I have ever seen of what that place has turned into. Uh, it was truly depressing, um, to see places that I grew up in good neighborhoods and places people wanted to live with shanty towns, uh, underneath the freeway overpasses, the amount of graffiti, the amount of filth, the amount of dirt and the amount of just outright psychopaths walking the street was staggering and I truly feel uh, for the people there who voted for this or allowed people to or, or allowed society to make this happen and who are generally unarmed. You know, yeah. it's a, it's a, it's a bad state of affairs. Yeah. I have a, I have a friends that live there and I have uh, friends that live in, in uh, other cities that have digressed to that. And the most recent conversation I had is, you know, the police don't make the rules. We just play by them and we will provide you whatever society you, you choose to, to institute. Oh, and the one universal, the one universal I got from every cop I talked to, which was a bunch. And this was consistent to the man out in LA. Our DA wants to prosecute a cop and it ain't going to be me. And then you can translate that right into, I'm not doing a thing out here for these citizens who elected a guy who wants to put me in jail. And that is a very, very frightening thing for so much of the public who wants to subcontract their safety to I'll just call nine one one and they'll send a policeman to save a police person to save my life. And that ain't going to happen. Um, they're not willing to put themselves on the line for you anymore. And you can thank uh, what you elected to do that. They have no support, no backing, no, whatever. Everything's political and it's absolutely a tragic, tragic situation. Well, thanks for your, uh, Thanks for your, uh, your input as always. I, I like, uh, I like to get about eight or 10 topics out there and then sir, <laughs> man, I just <laughs> said it. I was going to say circle back and I said it just saying that I wasn't going to say it, but, uh, get, you did it. Yeah. You, you get, get your little red wig, a <laughs> little red, right. Little, little red lying hood and go, go for it. <laughs> yeah. But, but I always like to come back around to the DB reality check, uh, because you know, a lot of people, they, they pick up on a good topic that comes up in podcasts. And then, uh, I like to about every, you know, eight or so episodes, get the DB reality check in there. So the, <laughs> the new subscribers go, Oh, I never thought of that before. So <laughs> yeah, I'll go it's, ahead. it's, go it's ahead. sad. <laughs> hey, thanks, Daryl. Another reality check with one DB, the one and only DB. All right. A reminder, 
Check out our sponsors, Excess Sites, ccwsafe.com. Save 10% off your membership by entering code OFFDUTY10 at checkout. EDC Belt Co., EDC Belt Company, the Foundation Belt, the Guardian Conference coming up. Man, I'm only going to be able to plug that on so many more shows, right? Uh, Look forward to seeing you there. And you uh, will have the option to buy 1,000 rounds of 9mm ammo. So don't even have to dip into your training stash if you show up. Oh, and sign up for the Concealed Carry Podcast giveaway. Links in the show notes. Got to sign up weekly. Uh, This week, they're giving away the MCF Spark from Ready Up Gear. It's one of my favorite pieces of kit. Ranks right up there with, uh, like handcuffs and uh, pepper spray so love it it's a great piece of gear the off-duty on-duty podcast is a production of eastridge training and consulting llc eastridge training and consulting llc presents the following content for educational purposes only Always take proper precautions, follow all firearm safety rules, consult with a competent firearms instructor, and have trained medical staff on hand when operating live firearms. Legal content, commentary, or explanations do not constitute legal advice. We are not attorneys and recommend always consulting with competent legal counsel when researching or seeking to understand laws and legal application. Eastridge Training and Consulting, LLC, its participants, partners, and affiliates are not liable for any action taken based on the content of this shared podcast.